From the heart of the greatest territory in wrestling history, it's Wrestling Talk with Mayor McCall, and I'm your co-host, Willie B. As always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the founder, promoter, and CEO of this podcast, the Booker of the Stars, ladies and gentlemen, Mayor McCall. Willie B., thank you as always. We have a very, very special guest today. He is a Memphis wrestling legend. He's a WWF wrestling legend. He's a wrestling legend known all over the world. He was part of Jimmy Hart's first family wrestling stable, and he has held numerous single and tag team titles all over. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome WWE Hall of Famer, the Birdman, Coco Beware. All right. All right. What's happening, guys? What's up, Coco? Uh, man, what a what a huge honor and privilege to do this. And you and I, I've had the had the pleasure of having you know some conversations with you leading up to this. And you're you know, the fans. It'd be a treat for the fans. You're an awesome guy. And once you once again, brother, thank you thank you for doing this with us. What a, what a high honor. Oh man, appreciate you guys uh, giving me the opportunity, man. Man, it's our pleasure. Our pleasure. All right, Coco. Let's uh, let's go ahead and kick it off. How did you, how did you get started in the wrestling business, and who trained you? Well, as just just started out as a kid, you know, just just like everybody else, you probably hear the same old story. They they went to a wrestling match one night, and the same as I did, and and uh, fell in love with the business. And as a kid, that's that's what I I just I said this is definitely for me. So I so so I just told my parents and said, hey, I want to be that professional wrestler, Mama. I don't want to be the I don't even really want to be the football player that I was a big star in high school football back then and stuff like that for Union City, Tennessee. That's where I was born and raised. Yes, sir. And and so uh, and you know what? I just I just going kept going to the matches and stuff like that, and and I just just made up my mind for sure. That, hey, this I wanted to be special when I. I saw some dirty wrestlers at the time. It was Jerry the King Lawler, man. He he was like the dirty man in the in the world, man. I mean, I just didn't know. I like uh, he came out with the referee took maybe seven or eight ten chain off 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 of him, and uh, he was just pulling chains left and right, you know, just out of his boot, out of his tights, out from under his arms, and everything. <laughs> so, being the hill, seeing a hill wrestler is really what motivated you. You you, you looked at him and said, "That's what I want to do." Yeah, man. I said, man, I I want to be that dirty character and stuff like that, and and uh, and uh, it just it just it just uh, just stayed with, stuck with me and all that stuff. And then one one Sunday afternoon, you know, I I was just riding my bicycle, you know, around the where they have where they have the old building in Union City. I just I just rode down there, and, and when I rode down there, there was some uh, wrestling. I mean. I, God, the guys, I said, wait a minute, this is not Thursday night. This is Sunday evening. I heard the ring just sound just like Thursday night. The ring was, you know, the guys was taking bumps and stuff. I said, man, are they wrestling tonight? And I kind of got off my bicycle and I kind of peeked in and I looked around and then they saw me. They said, hey, you can't come in here. I said, man, why not, man? I said, I, I love this. I said, can I be a part of it? And they saw me at the, at the time, big football player and stuff like that. You know, I said, you know, I was like, 
close to two hundred and ten pounds, solid man. At, at seventeen and eighteen, you were two. You were two ten. Yes. Oh, yeah. So were you were, were you running back in high school, linebacker? What what did you play? No, I, actually, I was the the nose guard. At, I mean, I was a nose guard, and I was a uh, right off, offensive tackle. Oh wow. Oh, oh, incredible. They say don't mess I mean, with them boys from Union City, Tennessee. Yeah, you're yeah, one of the dog, dogs in the trenches. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I was the fastest nose guard they said in the country because, uh, man, I I could be back there in the back there in the line of scrimmage, uh, have my hands on the quarterback. By the time he, they, the center heights the ball to him, he was, on, already it. Had he was my, on it. I had my, I had my hands on it. Man. And and one night I got seven, I mean eleven executive tackles by myself. Ooh! So you, you were you were carrying the load for the team that night. Yeah, and the coach and the other, I could hear the coach on the other on the other side. He said, "Can anybody stop number sixty-one?" Nope. Nope. <laughs> Sorry, coach. And uh, one and one night I just I scored a touchdown because they did a they try to do a trick play where the, the center hikes the ball and, and just lays over the ball and the, and the quarterback sets the ball down up on his butt and then the the end is supposed to come around picks the ball up and and go go around to the left where where all the linebackers and and uh, Fullbacks and halfbacks, all of them quarterback, they're running to the left, and and this this uh, tight end over there to the right, he never moves until he he knows everybody's out of the clear because it, it throws our linebackers off, and he goes he comes around and picks the ball up over the center, and he goes out the other end, he's wide open. I mean, he's wide open, and and uh, they they did score a touchdown on us when we went to Jackson, Tennessee, uh, at that one year. So coach said, coach said, coach, he said, Coco, he said, you're gonna have to, you got to stay alert, stay stay alert on this here, cause uh, they're gonna they're gonna right at halftime they're gonna do that trick play again. I said, watch it, you know. So and don't you know they, they right there like. Five or ten seconds to at halftime, man. They they pulled that card out there, and when they pulled that card, man, I went for it. I stepped right over the line of scrimmage, real easy. And oh, and that center, he was just covering that ball up, man. Had his head ducked and everything. And that and that uh, and, uh, tight end was sitting over there waiting. And I stepped through there and picked the ball up, and I ran towards the touchdown. And the people didn't even know what the heck I was running for. The they, opposite way. Yeah. What? Where? So the trick play. They they assumed that the that the quarter that the center was laying on the ball, or they thought the quarterback had handed it off. Yeah. Yeah. They just knew they thought it was the quarterback, I mean, but the center was just covering the ball up, waiting on the the, the tight end. I mean, yeah. Waiting on the tight end to come around on the, on a, I guess a sweep on, type play. Yeah. 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 And I and I stepped through and I picked the ball up and I ran to the goal line. Even the referee, the referee now he he didn't even know. You're and like, hey, standing, I crossed the end zone. Here's the here's the ball. They, they finally had to blow I'm, the whistle. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm standing I'm standing in the end zone and I got the ball. I held the ball up in the air, and the people's going, "Oh my God, what 
what happened? I said, well, the referee, I had to wait on the referee and say, you know, just throw his hands up. <laughs> Touchdown. <laughs> but before there was Coco Beware, there was Coach Beware. Beware of that guy. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they, man, they, was, did they call you, so they called you, your, your nickname or your name was Coco even back then? Yeah, but it, it's a, that's a long story. Okay. I, uh, when I got the name Coco, it was just, uh, it, it was it was a long story. We'll, we'll tell that on we'll tell that on the other gotcha. next time. Gotcha. Let's uh, let's get back to the building that night. So when you pull up to the building, like what what happened that night? Well, this like I said, it was that Sunday evening. Uh, they was they was working out, and the and the guys and I asked the guys about uh, hey about training. Hey man, can I train with you guys? Whatever you know. It's, and they, they, them guys' eyes and golly, well, I ain't gonna turn him down. This guy's very big, you know. And he said, "Well, you just have to go home and just and uh, ask your parents to sign someone that we're not responsible just in case you get hurt, whatever." And I said, "Okay, I'll be." So I jumped on my bicycle. And I, I went home. I said, "Mother, you got to sign some kind of note saying that that you know we're not gonna be responsible if I if I get hurt." Those guys. And, I, and she said, oh, you sure you want to do this? I said, yes, ma'am, I want to do this, mom. Come on, just sign. I don't care what you put down. Just scribble whatever, <laughs> or whatever. I didn't care. So I, I went on back. To, man, I I, I uh, went back down there and showed the guy. He said, he said okay. He said, man, hey. Uh, I said, when can I start? I said, he said, uh, well, you start next next Sunday. I said, no, what about, can I start tonight? And the guy said, "You sure you want to get in the ring tonight?" And, you know, I said, "Yeah, yeah, I want to do this, man. I want to. I really want to do this." So those guys said, "Okay, you know." And I got out there and started uh, training with those guys, and and uh, man, the weeks went by, and I didn't tell nobody I was tr- I was training to be a professional wrestler or anything like that. And then all the uh, those guys kind of dropped out. Then Big Plowboy Frazier came in. Oh wow! And and uh, was and uh, they call him Uncle Elmer, but uh, he came in the same building and 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 he started running wrestling. And I so I finally got a chance to introduce myself to the Plowboy and, and asked him about the wrestling and all that stuff. He said, I said, so I've been training. I said, but, you know, I hadn't had no match or anything like that. I've just been training with these guys here. So he said, you know what? Uh, man, you look, you, you definitely look a big prospect, man, that good for the business and all that. I said, uh, he said, let me see what you can do in the, in the ring. He said, come down there Thursday night and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go over it. You know, I, I got a guy I'll work with you. So I met Flywar down there and stuff like that. And, Man, we just completely, uh, he was shocked, man. He was just so shocked after that Thursday night. I, I was just kind of like, I knew I could do this. When I saw uh, drop the guys were drop kicking, and, man, I just, I said, oh, I could do that. Everything they was doing, especially like Jerry Lawler, man, I, I just copied him big time. You know, I'm talking about the moves he did come off the second rope and throwing the punch uh, uh, stuff like that and nobody learned me how to even throw a, a good punch a good working punch 
Well, I, and, and, and as I asked about that, you know, Lawler is known for his incredible working punch. Like he, he's probably known for the, being the best in the business to have that. And really, yeah. the same can be said about you and your your drop kick, right? You, if the one thing that you always read and hear fans say, and other wrestlers too, is how incredible your drop kick was. Did that come naturally well, to you, or did you something you had to work on? Can you kind of kind of go into detail because it's it's you know considered you know probably it, considered the best. Well, I tell you. It just took a lot of practice. I, everything you do in life, you just got to practice. You got to practice and practice and practice if you want to be successful out of it. And that's what I did. Uh, I was uh, I was training tennis. I was helping training uh, Tennessee uh, walking horses also at the time. And then we would turn the old mares out in the out in the pasture. They they'd be out there grazing and stuff like that and. They out there like having fun and running through the pastures and stuff, and and then when they they would be running, and then you know what they just be kicking up in the air and stuff like that, kicking up in the air. I said, wow, and that thought right there, man, that thought that thought that I that kept popped in my head, and and uh, and as I said, you know what, I can take that to the ring. And drop kick somebody just like these horses is having having a good good time drop kick uh, uh, kicking in the air and stuff like that, you know. And I said I I can do that to my opponents just like. And I said I just gotta jump high and just kick, just jump real high as I can and just kick out. And 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 uh, I said that would be incredible. And then I learned how to do that real well and then uh the next the next move I, I did i was you know i was i was drop kicking then i i said now i want to take it to another level i want to i want to use the the second rope i want to get on top of, i want to get on the second rope or the top rope and jump off and drop kick my opponent almost like a missile drop kick Right, and, and drop kick my opponent and, and stuff like that. And then, well, I was hurting myself more than my opponent, I believe. Because <laughs> I, was, I was laying on my back. I said, no, this is not the way to do that. I said, it's an easy way to do that. And I kept working at it, working at it, and still I, I couldn't come up with nothing. Uh, gorillas save me from landing on my back i'm I'm gonna just tell you guys man this is how god works man god has really helped me to get in the in the wrestling business amen because everything everything i asked him he did it for me everything i dreamed about it came true don't you know i saw just a, a guy didn't even know him at all and he wasn't my neighbor. I just saw a guy somewhere. We, was, I was doing something. I don't know. And he was playing with this cat. And he was throwing the cat in up in the air, and the cat was laying on all fours, all the four legs. Every time he would throw the throw the cat up in there, he was always laying on his four legs, on his on his four legs. And you know what? And that and it came, 
it came in, uh, that idea came in, in my mind. I said, you know what? That's it. I'm going to try to drop kick these guys and land on my feet. And I said, I'm going to try my best to drop kick these guys and land on my feet. And I worked at it and worked at it. And, and, and I just couldn't go so far out. I had to judge it just right. I'm on the top turn buckle, and then here he, as he getting up from a slam, I have a body slam him, as he getting up and he turned towards me and I'm up in midair and I'm landing on his shoulder with both feet and I spring off of his shoulder and land on my feet. What a beautiful move. Absolutely, and just, you know, to let the fans, you know, visualize that, not only does that require an abnormal amount of athleticism, but the timing had to be right on that, too. The timing had to be right, because, you know, I, uh, I I had to slam him where I wanted him to be, and then as he get up, he's, he's got to turn into me, and I'm looking at his shoulder the shoulder that that I, I'm focused on. And we talk about timing, and timing, it sounds like a lot of that is it's not only because of the repetition, it's the muscle memory, <clears throat> knowing exactly where to be and when to be there. And and, and, right. and just and you get the feel because you did it so many times over and over and over, you practice it. And, and you know, again, like anything well, I, you do in life, if you, you have to put the time and effort into it. Yeah, I, I, I put the time in it before I, 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 I brought it to the public and stuff like that, you know, and I told Plyboy about it, and he said, what, uh, uh, go ahead and try it. Uh, try it one night and see what you think. You know, he said, it, it's, it's going to be a dangerous move now. Just don't don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't break nothing, you know. And you know what? I had my eyes where – where I wanted, I had my eyes right on that shoulder where I wanted to be at, where my, where I want my legs to be. And don't you know, man, when I first did it, man, you talking about the people just couldn't believe it. Even Plowboy, he couldn't believe it. He said, oh my God, kid, what a move. And, you know, and, 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 uh, until, you know, and, you know, from then on, I was I was just a high flyer, man. I was just the, the, I, I was the, just, truly the innovator. Like today, a lot of these guys they 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 flop around and jump around with no. And we we you know some people know that we we may. I'm not trying to uh, how to put this nice. I'm not trying to disparage modern wrestling as much. It's easy to do, uh, but but they they just do high flying the sake high flying. And and but you you're an innovator and you told a story. And the the guys today could could learn a thing or two about watching a watching a Coco Beware match, especially if they want to be high flyers. Well, I mean it's it's a it's a thing. It's a the way you got to do this. You you got to know what what character you are. And and I'm a high flyer. I'm not a, a giant killer. I don't believe that I can go out. Said so I never did believe that I could go out there and beat. Guys like the Undertaker, uh, all the big guys like Andre the Giant or whatever, you know, that's impossible. 
for a little guy like me, I'm a high flyer. If I can't beat you with, you know, a drop kick off the top rope where the people said, man, that's believable. Or I can, I can take, I can take a, a baseball bat, a two before, and knock you out from behind. I got to have some kind of weapon to beat a big guy. Correct. And I, and, and I always, that was my whole motto. Man, I don't want to be the big guy just one, two, three, <clears throat> because it's, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. You understood exactly who you were. And, again, you made it believable because <clears throat> it's kind of like in jiu-jitsu, right? The smaller guy can beat the bigger guy. If it's, knowing how to, it's knowing how to grapple, how to fight. Well, same thing, and even in a, a, quote, scripted, worked match, you know, it was believable because you were able to jump off the top rope, bring all that, that all that athleticism, and with a missile, as, as he said, a missile drop kick, you're like, oh, oh crap, those big guys, they, they can't take too many of those. They're, they're, they may be big, but they will fall. And you know what? As plus, I had all the big guys on my side. Because you know what, I told them I want them to, to beat the hell out of me, make make the people feel sorry for me. You know, I'm saying, oh my God, why is Coco in there with this big old guy? Oh, I can't believe it! Oh my God, he's gonna kill Coco. He's gonna kill him. Get him emotionally you know, invested. You didn't mind taking got, a hard way back in the day. You you got you got you got to have that sympathy in your life and and uh, in the ring and stuff like that. And that's why you, that's how you really get over with the with the people on the front row. The little girls are crying. The, the little boys are crying. They crying for you and stuff like that because they know that big monster can chew me up and, and spit me out like I'm yesterday's garbage. You think about it, the more that you're beat down when that comeback happens, it's 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 makes it that even more um, believable, cra- believable and crazy. Where it's just a big pop and they're like they're. Overly excited, like oh my god, and they, he's coming and that, back. At that point, the fans are definitely emotionally invested. Like you go back to, yes. you know, like you guys could tell a story back then just with your movements. Right. I mean, you know, I just, I never, I never did thought I was going to be uh, a big guy, even because I looked at it, I looked at it this way also. If I was out on the street in a real fight, you think I could beat this big guy in a real fight? I don't know. Possibly. No, no, <laughs> You're the man, Coco. I, I don't know about that. You are the man, Coco. Hey, no, no. The horsepower wouldn't be there. It's not there. You know what they say? A good, a good little man. I mean, a good little man can beat a big man in the day, but a good little man cannot beat a good big man. Right. In the day. So, so you know we. we we, I'm, I'm just trying to send a message out to all the, the, little, the little guys. Stay in your character. Stay in your position. Be that humble person, you know. And I guarantee you, those those big guys, they will love you to death. They want they because when a big guy gets tired of beating you up, he wants to, he wants to give you some some kind of comeback. He said, "Oh, thank you for selling for me." Oh my God! You put me over big time. Can can I do something? See, I had a match with Joe LaDuke when I first went on on Channel Five Wrestling. That was my first opponent. Uh, opponent. How was that? And guy? I went. <laughs> I was. I went against Joe LaDuke. Didn't didn't know Joe LaDuke at all, but I still had the 
my mindset about the big guys. And I got out there, and that Joe LaDuca, he is, he's working with Jerry Lawler, uh, main event that Monday night. So I'm, they said, uh, Jerry Jared said, Coco, you going against uh, Joe LaDuke tonight? I mean, the uh, TV here. Uh, we want to get Joe over and all that stuff. We want to get him over strong. And I and I said, I already had it in my mind. I'm going to get this guy over strong. I, I said, I can't, you know, I can't do no with this guy. And we went out there. Joe LaDuke just didn't know me from, from Adam. Went out there. And Joe LaDuke would start calling and some stuff and, and and didn't have to really call nothing. I just sold, sold whatever he gave me. I, I was selling, I was selling, selling, kept selling. Then Joe LaDuke said, oh, golly, kid, you are great. Oh, you, oh, you, you are great, man. You make it be, you, you make it be look like a million dollars. Oh, my God. He's, t he's talking to me in the ring, and all he said, oh, what a hell of a bump. Oh, my God, kid. Oh, my God. And then I kept selling and kept selling. And then uh, he said, kid, I want you to do something. And I and I said, what is that? I want you to body slam me. I said, hell no. <laughs> I, want you, I want you to body slam me. I said, no, Joe, no. I want, I want to keep selling for you. He said, Man, you're making me, oh, I can't do it. You're making me uh, just, I can't believe this. I can't believe it. You're putting me over big time. And I said, he said, I want you to slam me. I don't care. Just slam me. So so I said, Joe, I can't slam me. He said, just go, just go up. Just try to slam me. I got you. So I went to, I said, okay, you sure? I said, Joe, you sure? And he said, yes. So, I, you know what? Joe got in position where I went to go to slamming. Joe LaDuke came up so darn easy and, and, and already where I slammed him. And, man, don't you know the people in that, in that, at that studio, they popped like, man, crazy. They went wild. They went wild, man. They went wild. And, uh. And I started working on Joe and stuff like that, and and uh, and Jerry Lawler, boy, he got very upset at Joe LaDuke. and Jerry Jerry did too. He said, "Golly, Joe, I can't believe it! You're a main event. You are main event Monday night against Jerry, and and you putting this kid over like this." Joe Joe LaDuke said this in front of Jerry Lawler and said it in front of Jerry Jerry. He said, he said, anybody like this kid made me look like a million dollars. I had to give him something, some kind of comeback. I don't care. He put me over and it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt at all for Monday night. No. So he said, what was it like to have that level of validation as a young wrestler from someone like Joe to be who you were going in there being completely selfless and doing what you were doing for him and then for him to turn around and to validate you and then and then to stick up to you, stick up for you with with Jared and, and, and Lawler? 
Well, hey, that's 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 all I wanted, you know. That, that's that was the whole nutshell right there. That was that's what I wanted to do anyway. That's what the kind of mind that I had in the ring, especially in the pro in the pro ring. I didn't feel that I should go out there and beat Joe Laduke up. You understood. You understood your role and where you are um, at that point of your career of working your way exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Paying your dues. You know, I just didn't want to be that that little giant uh, trying to be that uh, giant killer. I want to be that little humble, look at baby face guy that put these big guys over, and you know, if somebody's my size or whatever, then that's a, that could be a, that could be the contest. We, um, you know, Coco, you're one of these guests, man. We could sit here and we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, weeks up on weeks, and you know, never, never fully cover everything. But I know, you know, you're you're a busy guy, and we got a limited amount of time with you, so. You know, we want to. We just want to jump around and you know talk about some different stuff. And we do this podcast. We heavily respect you guys. You know, we we don't take this lightly. We we overtake our notes and everything. So we've we've got plenty enough notes. We could talk to you for hours upon days. Like I said, though. So we'll just we'll we'll go through some highlights and we'll run through some stuff. Give us you know give us some of your favorite you know memories working you know in the CWA in Memphis. You know with with you know Jerry Jarrett. Oh, it was it was just uh, when I met Jer- uh, uh, Jared and stuff like that, and when I got a chance to, that's what I said. Plyboard told Jared Lawler about me, and Lawler asked me to come down to Plyboard, Arkansas. I want to see I want to see him, and and I want to check him out. You know, I'm gonna put him in the ring with Frankie Lane, Cowboy Frankie Lane. And so when I did that, went out there and talked. I mean, went out there with Frankie Lane. We told the house down. We just, you know, what they tell me now, I didn't know is they, y'all, because Plyboy has already told, the spilled the beans, Lawler, he is, he is great. This guy here is a copy, copy, a man of you and everything. And uh, so, so when when I went there, I had to match with Cowboy Franklin Lane and stuff like that. And Franklin Lane came back and said, Lawler, man, man, this is best, This he's one of the best I ever worked with. You know, he's he's a, he's one of the best I would work with. And Lawler was going, yeah, I saw that man. He said, he said, Coco, can you make Memphis wrestling uh, Saturday morning to beat Jerry Jerry? So that's that. That's how I kicked off, man. It cut. It kicked off like that and stuff like that. And I was just as skilled as humble as as a, as a lamb and stuff like that, which I am now. I mean, you know, I'm still humble. I never did think I had the big head in this business. I don't care. I wrestled in uh, WrestleMania, 93,000 people. And you know what? When I came down, I, I, I was still as, as humble as a lamb that I was just. But, but my thing were when it was showtime, I wanted to go out there and put on a show for the people. Because I, I figured this here. I'm in the ring. I'm in the first match or whatever. Well, I'm the star. I'm the main event at that at that point. I am the main event at that point. They hear the they they, they paid a ticket to see me too as well that they saw the main event. Your so, main event any day in my book, Coco. So to me, I was the main event while they watching me. 
you know, so if they want, you know, so I'm the main event and I'm looking at it. There's no other, there's no other main event guys can follow me. I just, I just had that. I just had that attitude, you know, Hey, you know, there's people that paid, uh, to see me in WrestleMania 93,000 there. I said, there's a whole lot of Coco beware fans out there. Yes. There was a whole lot of Hulk Hogan fans out there. You know, everybody had a whole lot of people because of their fans and stuff. Cause you know what? We just did, they just didn't break it down. So this is Coco Beware side. This is Hulk Hogan side. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat side and stuff like that. You know, this is the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage side. They didn't they didn't break it up like that. Before we move on to your time in the, the you know formerly known as the, the World Wrestling Federation, the WWF. I want to you know give a little backstory and just you know talk about a little you know a little bit of your time you know and you know in Memphis and all um, first family. Um, you would uh you would, uh you had a couple of tag partners and you know in, in the Memphis territory. You you teamed up with Steve our buddy our good buddy Steve Kern. You later teamed up with you know Bobby Eaton. You guys had won the AWA Southern Tag Team Championship. Um, eventually, you know you and Bobby would would turn on each other. And you would lose, you would lose a loser leave town ma- uh, match, and you would come back uh, in a mass known as, and you were known at that point as Stagger Lee. And in 1983, uh, during a tag team tournament, you were teamed up with uh, Norville Alston to take on the Fabulous Fargos. Uh, if you don't know who the Fabulous Fargos were, that at that time it was uh, Tommy Rich and Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Um, and your mass was removed, you know, during, during that match, you know, and, and after that, you and, um, and you and Norvell Austin would form, you know, the Pretty Young Things, or sometimes it's known as the PYT Express. Tell us about your time working with Norvell Austin and the memories you had of him. Norvell was great. I mean, you know, he was, he was trained by Sputnik Monroe. Legend. And, uh, and I'm telling you, legend Sputnik Monroe, God bless his heart, he's going on heaven and stuff like that and uh uh that was that was his baby because he used to call Norvell. he's just he's a Norvell. Where, he's a where's my baby at uh-huh. and everybody said who's your baby he's a Norvell. Norvell Austin. that's my baby he said and so and uh and i felt i i really felt good about it because i got close to sputnik you know in houston texas you know, but uh, and he was the same way when he was in Memphis, and he was he come in the dressing room looking for his baby. He's and everybody uh, going around said, "Who are you looking for? I'm looking for my baby, Novell Austin. Where's he at?" And uh, man, it it was just something, you know. And uh, and I really, really, I I really took a liking in, into that. And uh, and Novell and I, we hit it off. We hit it off. Uh, great man, I want to thank Jerry the King Lawler for giving us that gimmick. Michael Jackson um, yeah. was hot; he was hot as uh, with the Thriller and all that stuff. Is that where and the ja- where, is that where like the jackets you guys wore? Did that come from like Michael Jackson? That's where the gimmick came from. And thank God for Jer- Jerry Lawler, you know, and stuff like that. And Lawler, uh, he he put the he put the glitter and all that stuff in, and the gloves. And, Lawler created all that. Lawler created a lot of gimmicks. Over, I mean, he was. He, that's what he was so professional, man. He was so great as, as as a gimmick man. You know, he he did all the cartoons and stuff like that. He was a Batman, and he was a uh, 
uh, was with Superman and also and all that stuff. He he dressed up as, as all of that. So he had, he had he had a good memory in the wrestling bin. He was good for the for the business, and so he he did this. Uh, Gerald, I mean, did this to uh, Norvell and myself, and and we uh, we took it and ran with it. And you know what? We got a lot of heat uh, over it, man. You know, just uh, I mean, we we fought in Memphis, then we went to different uh, territories, and and we really got to fighting big time in Dallas, Texas, with the Von Ericks. When we beat the heck out of the Von Ericks one night, don't you know? Uh, and I'm not saying it uh, because just all the Spaniels people, the Mexicans and stuff, they came in the ring with knives and and, and <laughs> man, they wanted to they wanted to cut us, man. They wanted to cut us down because the 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 Von Erich was laying on laying on, on the mat that we done beat the hell out of, man. So it's it's no exaggeration when you hear. I've heard so many other wrestlers talk about just how over the Von Erichs were in Texas. So you're you're. You're validating that, that, that to, to your point, they were extremely, extremely over. The fans bought in, and to beat them and to go over on them and to have the fans storm the ring with knives and stuff is is is, is pretty much Man, right I'm, on point. Yes, the Von Erichs. I'm telling you, they were over in Dallas. All I'm talking about, all the Von Erichs, the 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 little brothers, the big brothers, the little brothers, or whatever. If he jumped on one, man, it didn't matter if he was a Von Erich, whatever. I mean, they, they the people hated that. They 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 would hate your guts. I mean, Norvell and I, and Norvell and myself, we had to fight going to the ring, and then had to try to fight coming out of it. Well, we couldn't come out of the ring. We had to stand in the ring because those were, people was round the ring with knives in their hand. Come down! They're telling us we had to get back. We had to get security. Did you guys ever take back. anything in your trunks? I've heard the stories. You know, James Harris. You know, R.I.P. Kamala. What a legend in this business. You know, he he's been known for you know having a knife or a gun. You know, a small handgun in his trunks at some point. Did did you and Norvell ever have to arm yourselves? You know, like that in a situation like that, and you know, in world class championship wrestling or anything. No, no, we we didn't do nothing like that. I mean. That, 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 I mean, it, it's bad enough to carry a blade, you right. know, uh, around and stuff like that. I didn't want to carry a pocket knife. Next thing you know, I'd be the guy stabbed myself yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what Kamala had said a, a, a lot that you know that it, it got really old that you know he would take a bump or it, it seemed like he always seemed to fall on like what he had in his tights, either that small handgun or that knife, and that would really you know that started hurting him over a period of time. Well, I, I we never did do that. I mean, like I can't I can't believe James would would curse something like like that. I, you know, because uh, you know you, you you just don't leave the ring. You know, when there's when there's trouble, you just don't leave the ring, and then you ask for security and stuff like that. You need some help. The referee tell the referee get on the mic, and he would say he the referee would never leave you. Say. A referee would get on the mic and say, "Hey, we need security in the ring. We need security right away." And, and for younger fans, listen. And I know we obviously we we appeal to the older audience, people that our age that love love classic and what we call real wrestling. 
But to understand the, the, the true kayfabe days of, the, of those times, just what real heat was, that the fans bought in and believed, like they legitimately thought that you hurt the Von Erics. They were legitimately wanting to hurt you. And it's hard for, I think it's hard for modern wrestling fans to grasp the realism of and why we love professional wrestling as we know it so much better than today because it was, it was, quote, real. Well, you're right. They, they have changed the script around. And now they're more is more Hollywood than anything. I mean, there's no more there's no heels. Nope. There's no no more babyface. There's no more brass knucks. There's no more chain. There's no more blood nope. and stuff like that. I mean, it, they just took they just took the professional wrestling out of completely out of the game. And you know what? I think it was created where the uh, wrestling the. Being a professional wrestling, how it all brought up, there was two pop belly guys. They weren't muscle guys. That they told some of the older wrestlers told me this story that they these these big two pop belly guys and what they was doing, they uh, they was just out there playing around, and one of them kind of hit it. They hit to hit the other one. Kind of stumped his foot and hit the other one, and he hit the floor, he hit the ground, and then there, there's an old couple said, uh, "Hey, honey, did you see that man over and knocked the hell out of that other guy?" Said, "Oh my God!" And uh, and they 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 just said, "Oh man, look at him, he's kicking him, he's kicking this guy," and those guys. Later on, they said they they laughed about it, and then they came up with this professional wrestling. He said we ought to we ought to take this and call it professional wrestling and go all over the world and make ton of money. I want to um if I can, I want to jump off script for a minute. Something I don't have in my notes, and like I said, I want to jump off script. While we're talking about Master Hills, um, for the fans and followers who, you know, keep up with our podcast and, you know, listen to us, out of all the wrestlers in the world, my favorite wrestler is uh, Brian Christopher. What are your memories working with Brian? And talk to us about Brian being a Master Hill because I, I, I tell everybody, I think, you know, Brian Christopher was the MJF before there was an MJF. Brian, there was a, Brian was the epitome of a master heel, making you believe, making you could not stand him, just basically wanting to cut him with a knife in the parking lot. Talk, talk to us, talk to us about Brian. Well, Brian Christopher, you know, when he, him and Kevin, when he was, they was little bitty boys. What he, they wouldn't even thought about being a professional wrestler, and they, these was just young. Young boys that sit at ringside and watch me and his dad go at it every Monday night, and uh, and I just I just I just loved uh, beating up on Jerry and looking at your two boys sitting there <laughs> and and stuff like that, and you know, and, uh, and and but Brian and Kevin was was. Uh, they were just little eyes, which just had tears in it, little eyes and stuff like that, and and all that. And then and then Brian grew, Kevin grew, and don't you know? Then he turned out to be being a, a, a heck of a wrestler, you know. So I mean, you know, I I really love I I love those guys, man. I really love because I I saw them. 
that was really nice to me. And I knew I know Lawler. I was real close to Lawler, and I was I was close to his kids and stuff like that. And but Brian, he was once he got the training, he picked his business up real quick. I'm talking about he 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 picked it up real quick, like uh, uh, Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert was sharp, because he had a good mind to him and stuff like come up with great ideas. And Brian, uh, uh, I'm just I'm just sorry that uh, the thing just just didn't work out when he got to the, the to the big league and stuff like that. I mean, you know, he, he just I don't know. He just uh, he looked like he was just dropped the ball. Was uh, uh, some for some reason I never know him to to do the things that he was doing. You know, uh, by just you know, just just being Brian, I never did think you know I would see that out of him and stuff like that. And he, and then after that, after WWE kind of, I think they just wanted to let him kind of let him go, but just give him a a little rest time. You know, I was just saying this is rest time. You know, and they because they they'll bring you back and all that stuff. Say so, right. You know, we just gonna give you some time off, and, and so you can get your life together and stuff like that. And and you know what? And I I really pray for Brian to even to do better because I I saw the talent. He had great talent in uh, in him. You saw all that you know, potential. I mean, yes, I saw that potential big time. You know, I mean he 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 could go. He could hey. He, he turned out to be a heck, a hell of a worker. I'll tell you that much, you know, and stuff like that. But he just, he just kept dropping the ball and dropping the ball. And next thing you know, I, I don't know what happened in the, you know, it's none of my business. I I can't say what happened in the sale or or whatever and stuff like that, you know. But you know, when WWE kind of let it, let him kind of take some time off, you know, you know, he just kind of. Heck, heck with it or whatever, and you know, and I just, I just couldn't really get to him. I couldn't get to him myself and and try to help him and try to tell him he was around people that was was hurting him. Yeah, was hurting. Wouldn't tell him. Wouldn't tell him what he was doing wrong. They they thought it was funny. What you know, it wasn't funny because he was doing the wrong thing and 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 they laughed about it. that that's not your friend that is not your true friend no. if they can't come out and tell you what you're doing wrong yeah i, I totally well, agree it, with that it, you know we and you know when it seems like when he got to the bigger leagues like the wwf he didn't have those people around him, that support system but you know early on like you know the territory days you know like memphis usba like that he had people around him like Dr. Tom Pritchard. They would pull him aside and said, hey, you know, you need to work on this, this, and this. This is a perception of you. This is what people are thinking. You know, let's go out there and prove them wrong and, and get, you know, and give them a hell of a show. So, you know, he just, it was just talent. I mean, it was talent in his blood. He had the talent in his blood because his, his daddy was just, was amazing. Could nobody out Tom Lawler here in Memphis? Nobody. Nobody. And when I talk about Brian being my favorite wrestler, you know, the fans need to understand it everything too. I'm not necessarily talking about the Brian you saw on the WWF that was teamed with Scotty Too Hotty. You know, I was talking about more of the the, the Memphis the too sexy the Memphis wrestler, Brian Christopher. The, that's, that's, the, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, all of this is 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 uh it combined in together. This is this is what's his start down here. 
Yep. And then when he made it to the big league, he was a, he was he was even better. So you know what I'm saying? We have to crawl before we can walk. Yep. Right. And, and to so your let, point, and to your point about you know people not telling what what he was doing wrong that <clears throat> we often forget life. <clears throat> sorry, that when you truly love someone, you know, as a friend, and you truly care about them, uh, that's when you pull them aside and tell them, hey, man, you're screwing up. You know, it's easier to sit back and let them do their thing so you don't want to be the bad guy. Being truly caring about someone is calling them, calling them out and trying to help them when they're going down the wrong path. And I, I appreciate you uh, bringing that up because I think a lot of people, especially in today's times when we have so many – you know, addictions and opiate addictions and things going on that people people need to hear that. Even now, I'm t- I guarantee you, even now, they, the guys in the dress rooms are, are they're not doing it when their when their partner is messing up or whatever. Yep. Because you know what I think I think it's like this. If if he mess up, that'll give me chance to to move up. That's that's sad. That's the wrong way to look at it. I, you know, I come from military background, so I, I think about the guys I served with in the army. And our our big thing is you always, you know, you, you love your brother and you pull him aside. And say, hey man, you're you're screwing up. It's not a matter of hey, I want you to mess up so that I can get promoted ahead of you. Well, I, I mean, that's, well, that's, that's the wrestling business for you. Yeah, and that's the wrong yeah. mentality, man. That you shouldn't you shouldn't I mean, treat treat men that way. You shouldn't treat people that way. And I, I'm fortunate you, enough. I, I'm blessed with a wonderful tag team partner. I guarantee you that uh, Willie B's not waiting for me to slip up or have a downfall so he can start his own podcast. <laughs> you know, we're we're true tag partners in this. You know, so. Well, you you'd be surprised though, man. But I'm saying that's that's what I, I that I have experienced. And I, what I've seen, even in the WWE and stuff like that, where guys came in, if they if they had a real good uh, body and everything, muscle down and cut and everything, golly, and they've been pushing other guys and stuff like that. Well, that person is already he's a, he's already going to have heat for he he don't even know these people, but he's going to have heat anyway because who he is, because the way he looks. Or in that, or like you know, go back to Brian Christopher. That's you know, he had heat for being Jerry Lawler's son off the get go. Yeah, but you know what? The only thing too uh, that I really, really hated on that too. I think, I think, and Lawler did this just, just uh, protecting Lawler. Well, myself, he didn't have no help as Jerry Lawler's son. I think he should have went as Brian Lawler, came as Brian Lawler as a carbon as as, as a carbon copy. Look, he, he's a spitch uh, image of, of of Jerry Lawler. Agreed. I mean, he can't he can't deny him that that's that's his son, and and this and and uh, everybody else in the country is bringing their kids out, saying Rick, look at Rick Flair got his daughter out there. Yep. No, you're right. I mean, I've never thought about that. I neither. What is wrong with Lawler not recognizing his own son? Talking about, uh, well, the people gonna think I'm old. Well, you're gonna get old anyway. Yep. You know, you're gonna get. We're gonna get old, and we're gonna die, and everything. That's what our young generation, I my young kids, is for. They're here to take my to to take my spot. And, and to your point, you think about the heat that Brian could have got. Is I mean, he already got heat in Memphis, bringing out that little red wagon, that that crazy laugh, the just his natural healness of being just a just a quote unquote asshole. Like that's what he was doing. Imagine 
imagine the the booking had he been brought out as Jerry Lawler's son. He comes out as even more entitled, even more of a little punk. Can you imagine the heat he would have brought? Heat, man, it's, you know what? It's a carbon copy. It's, yes. it's going to be a carbon copy all over again. When Lawler was a heel, can you imagine Lawler and and Brian working against each other? Yep. And Brian is a heel. And he's doing the, he's doing the same thing that Lawler used to do. Golly, man, they missed the boat, man. Yeah. He really missed the boat. I mean, that's what really, and you know, that was one thing Brian Brian really couldn't get off the ground because uh, he didn't have no support of that. And, and and I really I really fall Lawler on that because Lawler should hate. If I had my son out there, my son was in the business. And, and and uh you better you better bet your butt I'm going to to recognize my, my I'm gonna push my son out there, you know, and if you like him or not, whatever. I think and I think you at times have that situation like you, you just talked about where you could have a not to disparage this guy, but everybody talks about George Goulas. So you can have a situation where you have a father pushing a son that doesn't have talent. And so they're trying to push, push, push this person, and then, but on the yeah. opposite, on the opposite end, you do have you had someone with Brian who had incredible, insane amount of talent, and his father just happened to be, you know, the promoter and the biggest, biggest star of the territory. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I love Jerry, and I always said that. Why did why did Jerry name him or come up with Brian Chris, Christopher instead of Brian Lawler? And that's that's the only thing. Because, you know, I, I just I, I, I just feel bad about that. You know, I did. And, and, and none against Lawler. You know, Lawler did his thing and whatever. You know, he was the king of Memphis. And I gave, I gave him the props for that. I gave him the, uh, all, the, all the belts that he, he won and all this stuff. You know what I'm saying? But he still didn't recognize his own child yeah. growing up in the wrestling business. He didn't recognize that at all, and because he, he was worried about about what the fans gonna think that he's all oh, he he's, he's too old, he's old, and all this stuff. Well, you know what I'm saying is still here. Here is a here's a carbon copy of Jerry Lawler. Like I just said that he's Brian is 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 a, was a carbon copy of of his dad. I mean, looked just like him, had great interviews, you know, was all cocky and everything, you know, and I loved it. I love Brian for that. I love Lawler for being Lawler. And and that's one of the that's one of the main reasons, Coco, I love doing this podcast because I, I have never thought about it like that. And thank you so much for sharing that point of view and, and that and that perspective and insight. So wonderful, you know, you heard it here. Wonderful insight and perspective for the man himself. You know, Coco, beware. Let's uh, let's jump back to the you know the the man of the hour, the man with the power. And around '86, you know, uh, you're working with Bill Bill Watts, Mid South uh, UWF. You know, you started at this point. You started calling yourself Coco Beware, and you came out with the persona of the of the Birdman. And then, you know, in 1986, you would debut with the WWF, uh, and we would see, you know, Coco Beware, the Birdman, you know, come out Frankie. 
talk like how did it how did it come about you would end up in the WWF and talk to us about some of your fond memories of working in the WWF and coming up with the, the the gimmick with the bird with with Frankie and the bird bird being the bird man. well well I I was already the I was already had the birds on my tights okay being from kind of being and a then, high flyer right yep. you know just and then uh uh, actually, it was my wife. Uh, God bless her heart. She she's gone on. My first wife. She's gone on to heaven, and uh, she went into a, a bird store, and she saw this big, beautiful macaw bird. And she had, and luckily, she had a Polaroid camera w- with her, and she took a picture of that bird, and she brought it to me. And she said, "Golly, uh, this." this is the bird that I think you, you could use, you know, and I'm going like, really? I said, oh my God. And then at the time, in the meantime, I had a, uh, there was, I got a phone call when I was down in Miss South called Bill Watson. And they wasn't doing anything with me. Just, just had me on the card and everything. And then, and, uh, so I get a call from Howard Finkel. And so, and I just thought, I said, wait a minute. That's not Howard. Howard, this is no. I said, Howard, why would you want me to come to that Vince McMahon wanted want to want me to come up there and talk to him about making a transaction? And I'm going. I said, you know, what y'all gonna do with this? My little self. I said, this is the home of the Giants up there. Yeah, Coco, I'm telling you, Vince Vince McMahon would like to have a meeting with you and just. Just talk to Bill and see when is the best time for you to come up on your off day and all that stuff and come up and talk to us. So I said something to Bill about it, and Bill hit the ceiling. Oh, he got so upset. They're, gonna, they're not going to do nothing with you up there. They don't They don't mess with no little guys and all that stuff. They don't do nothing. They're, they're going to beat you like a drum and all that stuff. And I said, Bill, let's wait a minute. What Bill, have you done not, with me, Bill? <laughs> I said, yeah, what are you doing with me? I said, I've been here. You ain't did nothing with me since I've been here. Well, we we was gonna we was gonna do something. It was in the making and all that. I said, come on, Bill. Now it's probably in the making, right? Right. I said, you know, Bill, I said, this is what I really and I didn't hurt I didn't I didn't hurt his feeling. I was real nice. And Bill Watson is one hell of a uh, promoter and I love Bill Watson, you know. And he he did help me out a whole lot down there, and but you know what? Uh, but I said, Bill, this is what I need to do. I need to go and see what WWE had had to offer for me. Because if I don't go, I might regret this the rest of my life. Could you could so you Bill, see where the business was going at that point though? Could you understand that that, that it was Vince was taking it national, that it was getting bigger, that that maybe the, yeah, the it, territory it was, way of doing it, things was was on its way out? Could you see that? Yes, it was it was getting bigger and stuff like that. And that's the reason why JYD went up there. Yes, JYD didn't oh. give a notice or nothing. He left. He just completely just took off, and he was already he was gone. But I but uh, but when it all said and done. Bill said, okay. He said, I understand. He said, you know, but, you know, just come on back down. You know, they don't they, they don't use you. Just come on back down. You, I got a spot here for you and all that stuff. So I so I went up there and had a meeting with Vince and all that stuff. And then we had our conversation 
And then at the end of the conversation, I just kind of was walking out of out of Vince's office, and I had this this picture in my pocket, in my shirt pocket, and I said, "Oh my God, Vince!" I turned around, I said, "I I really forgot uh, to mention this," and he and he said, "What is that?" I said, "Vince, I would love to have this bird with me, since I'm gonna be the bird man." You know, so I was already a bird man. I said, I've been wanting to get one of these birds and stuff like that. He looked at it. He's blue and gold McCall. I said, yes. Oh, my God. He said, he said, holy crap. He said, what an idea. You want to carry this bird all around the country, right? He said, now we have a bulldog. Now we have a snake. Now we have a dragon. Now we got a bird. Yes. It's like a and he said, he said, <laughs> "Oh my God!" He said, "He said, you sure you want you want to take this bird all around?" I said, "You know what? This is gonna be like my mascot. He's gonna help me get over." Yes. That this bird, all to all the young kids, is gonna relate to me as a little bird man, and they're gonna love my bird. And, and Coco, as a kid, I'm, I'm telling you, I know you've heard this a hundred, or if you probably heard a thousand times, if not more, that as soon as you came on, John and I at that age, we're both 41, 42. You know, we we were the kids that were flapping our arms as soon as Coco and Frankie came down the aisle. There's Coco. There, yeah, like we we were those kids. Yeah. So I told Vince, I said, you know, I have to have something to stay up with Hulk Hogan, stay up with Andre the Giant, stay up with Don Morocco, Ronnie Piper, Randy Savage. All your big uh, main event guys, Bob Orton Jr., all those guys. I said, you know what? I said, uh, I I have to have something to to stay up there with those guys. So this bird would put me over, put me up there with them. And uh, he said, wow. And uh, then we came up with the music. As the Birdman song and all this stuff, and uh, we try to do the Mars Day in the time, but then but Mars Day, we was playing his song, and his producer manager somebody called the office and said, "Y'all got to stop playing our music, unless y'all want to play uh, play royalties on it and all that stuff, pay the royalties." And and so, so Jimmy Hart and and God bless his heart, he he came up. Uh, with with a, with a song, and then I had my gospel group, the Gospel Fours. I had them, George Dean and the Gospel Fours. I had those guys doing backup while I was singing, uh, "Bird, Bird, Bird." Everybody get up! Everybody get down! You better stretch yourself because the Birdman's in town. Yes, you know, and, and you know, uh, man, that just that just got over. That just went right over uh, Mars Day in the time. How how cool is that to, to so Jimmy helped write that song? Well, or compose some it, I should it. say some of it. But how yeah, you know yeah. it's just small world. You guys you know were together in, in Memphis. Go up to WWF. He's I know because he, Jimmy's written so many songs for other wrestlers. I mean he's I think it's I think he doesn't get enough credit uh, for for his talent um, outside of being yeah. a manager. That's just so cool. And, and you had one of those iconic theme songs. Then you were on the Pile Driver album. I mean, you were you were quite the well. He did, he didn't write the pal drawer. Okay, let's start over. He didn't write the pal. There was another guy that Vince them had that wrote the pal pal driver. We was I was just singing backup on it, but Jimmy 
had a part of the bird 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 the fast song bird okay. bird bird yep and uh and uh, so that just kind of this that just kind of knocked uh mars day and all those guys out because they was they was doing good on a uh on a record uh selling it was they, they were asking what he was pushing he was pushing uh jungle love i think his song was the bird 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 song was on the last song on his, his uh, on his album i believe I'm not for sure. It was the last song was on, and that's and that's right around the time that Vince stopped using, uh, for the most part, commercial music. I guess he 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 did not want to pay royalties, and then they started writing most of the songs no. in house. You know, and you know what? And I had we had you know we had it all planned out. If we if I had it went out there with Mars Day in the time because Mar- that's where I got the gimmick dance from. Ah, okay. and can you imagine me doing out there with Mars Day in the time out there doing the bird? song doing the wings and all that stuff. Yeah, it would have got would have got really over. Golly, man, that would have us over. And then I wanted to, I was I wanted to go down to Atlantic Braves do the, the baseball team. Yeah, I'm a huge Braves you fan. Know. <laughs> oh my God, man, I'm talking about doing the bird dance. You know, because those guys they some of them be doing the, the bird dance and all that stuff too. You got half the fans doing the chop, and you got half the fans doing the cocoa beware. Yes. Yeah, you know that's what I'm saying, man. It was just, it was, it was just, it was just uh, really great for me. I wanted, I wanted to make this thing big, you know, and and, and blow it up, you know. But was, when they when they called and said, uh, oh, we can't, we can't, we can't play uh, uh, you know, that bird, bird, bird song. I mean, by Mars Day them, and uh, so I, we just got our own stuff, and hey, we played that. Coco, what was it like uh, being on the card at WrestleMania three, Pontiac Silverdome, ninety three thousand plus people wrestling Butch Reed? What was? Is that one of the largest crowds you've ever wrestled in front of? Yes, that's the largest. That's the largest crowd ever that I wrestled in front of. Uh, that was, I'm telling you, it, it was amazing. Uh, that was part of my dream as a kid in my mother's bed that I wanted to be on stage and and, 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 and and in front of thousands, thousands, thousands of people and this little black boy from Union City, Tennessee uh, made it. That he got his wish in life. He wanted to be that wrestler and he made it. He, he, he went to the biggest stage of all time of the wrestling business and stuff like that. And, and you know what? And God helped him put him up there. Amen. Amen. Help me put he put help me to get there and stuff like that, man. Uh, I'm getting a little choked up now because I, I, I get a little emotional about that. But man, but it, it's it's it, it's it's the truth, man. It's the truth that that uh, all of this what I'm saying. This is all a dream that came true that I asked God, and and and, and God made it happen for me. I feel the and I feel the exact same way in my heart and in my soul about this podcast. I mean, growing up being a young wrestling fan, you know, being from you know, the Soto County, Mississippi, the South Haven, Horn Lake area, watching you know, watching Channel Five wrestling on WMC TV, watching the WWF. I never in a million years dreamed that I would get to talk to like. Coco Beware, The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Brian Blair, Tommy Rich, 
um, Steve Kern, Ron Fuller. And, and let me give a shout out to the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. He's the one that, um, you know, we, we did an interview with him and he said we did such a good job and we did our research and homework and most of these podcasts he does, nobody knows what the hell he's talking about or what's going on, but we did such extensive homework research. We honored him, his 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 family's wrestling wrestling legacy and you know the the Tennessee territory and you know and all over that he was happy and I told him I was just honest I said you know one of the guy one of my childhood heroes that I would love to interview and I've been trying to get in touch with but I haven't you know come up with any good leads is you know Coco beware and the next thing I know you know Ron Fuller sends me a text message and said here here's Coco's number tell him I said hello so you know, thank you, thank you, Coco, from the bottom of my heart for guys like you letting me get to live out some childhood fantasies and dreams. You know, by doing this podcast and being able to talk to you guys. Never, never in a million years did I think something like this was possible. So all glory be to God. You know, you know, thank you, Lord. Well, you know what I want, I want to, I want to stick a pin in something. You know, uh, and I told Ron about this a while back at his podcast and stuff that Herb Welch gave me a, a break. Herb Welch kind of helped train me too. Uh, in Dysburg, Tennessee, he had, a, he had a ring set up in his backyard. And one, and one, one uh, I think of one Sunday night or whatever that I, uh, I went to and talked to Herb about this and and I uh, I brought uh, Hulk Hogan down there because Hulk was very as when, he, when Hulk came into Memphis, Hulk was kind of like they they was real green. Him and Beefcake was real green. Yeah, this is around what seventy seven, seventy eight. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I took Hulk Hogan and 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 Brutus and Bobber's Beefcake. They came as brothers, Terry Terry Boulder and Eddie Boulder. Yep. And uh, one night at the Mid-South Coliseum, Hulk was 300 pounds, Beefcake was pretty solid, looked good, both of them looked great. But Jerry Lawler told them, guys, this is, this is all we want. They, they, they weren't great workers, they, you know, they was learning, they was learning the learning process. So, so Lawler just told them, said, Hulk, we want you to go out there and shoot the guy in and give him a bear hug and drop it about 10 times. Brutus, we want you to pick the guy up and slam him about 10 times, and then y'all do a double pin on these guys. One, two, three. Then Hulk came back to the dressing room. He was so, he was so upset. Said, oh my God, I can't believe it. I want to do more than just shoot the guy and give him a bear hug. I, I feel like I didn't beat nobody. Oh my God, I can't believe it. So I said, Hulk, I said, man, I said, I got a, I have a friend up in Dysburg, Tennessee. His name is Herb Welch. He's got a ring set up in his backyard in a barn. We can go up there and, and, and I'm going to show you some, some big man stuff. So I showed him some big man stuff and I said, this is what you all you need to do is clothesline, drop a leg and all this stuff. This is all you need to do. You, you know, and once you once you start doing, getting that over good, getting that over good, you're going to start picking up more as you go. Yep. Because as a big guy, you don't you don't need to sit there and be trained like I was. 
was sitting there do 99 punches. I said, when you punch a guy, you want to draw back and get one big shot. Bam. I said, you're a big guy. You're not a midget. (laughs) I said, you know, you're not a midget. You You don't have to do 20 punches and stuff like that. I say one big punch and the guy should go sell it real good and go down. He said, "Really?" He said, "Oh, he said, man. Well, I, I wanted. I, I just wanted to learn how to." And he kept saying, "I want to learn how to drop kick." I said, "Man, you don't need to do that, huh? You're not a you're not a drop kick. I'm the drop kick. I'm the high flyer. You the kick ass type of guy. You're the big dude, right?" I said, "You big." You know, I said you and you and Brutus kind of can work together. Brutus can probably drop kick or whatever, but but you three hundred pounds, come on, Terry. I say people, you walk down the street, people stop, pull on the side, pull their cars on the side, and say, "Who is that big guy walking down the sidewalk?" I want to. You know, they recognize you. I want to I want to wrap this thing up by you know giving you some accolades and credit. You had a couple famous firsts and you know the WWF. Um, 1990 for the people that don't realize 1990 Survivor Series. This was the debut of the Undertaker. You were teamed up with, um, if I'm not mistaken, Dusty Rhodes and the Hart Foundation, and you're going against the million dollar team made of uh, Ted DiBiase, uh, Rhythm and Bruise, and it was the debut of the undertaker you were the first ever they trusted you enough you were the first ever to be pinned on screen by the undertaker and you took a tombstone pal driver from the undertaker i know you and i have had a you know side conversation about that tombstone talk to us about maybe that tombstone didn't go as good as it should have well you know uh mark came in that was his that was his first debut at survivor series First time the world had and, ever uh, seen The Undertaker. Yeah, first time ever. And uh, so that was, a, that was a, the finale for the night, uh, for him to do the, the tombstone on me. And uh, so I said, okay, you know, I was one of those guys. I didn't really reject uh, what they wanted to do as long as they did it in the, in the right way. I didn't have no problem like that. So, so about time we got out there, when we got out, we had our matches and stuff like that and had a hell of a match and all that sold out, sold out crowd and stuff. Like Nick Gula said, a record-breaking crowd and all that. And, and so, uh, you know, by the time when Mark pushed me up uh, for his finish, so the only thing... Mark did wrong. He jumped with me. He jumped in there. He 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 had my legs. He had my neck between his thighs. And then he was supposed to hold them real tight. But when he jumped with me, my neck, my head kind of slips down. And when he when he when he jumped in there, he came down and. It kind of just, man, I, I just felt stars, man, and and just drove my head to the mat and stuff like that. And I was just hearing my neck pop, popping, popping, going all over. I said, oh, my God. I said, I think he done broke my neck or whatever. 
and stuff like that, you know. And then I just kind of, you know, after one, two, three, and I lay there, and I just kind of slowly rolled back. I was able enough to roll back out of the dress, uh, out of the ring, and to the and and back at the dress room. And then I'm going like, oh my neck, I, you know. So I was trying to get the doctors and all that stuff, and we'll see what was going on. And uh, so, uh, so Mark came over. He said, "Man, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I'm sorry." I said, it's, "That's okay." I said, "You know, hey, man, I was just trying to do it for you, man. You know, trying to get you over." He said, "Cause." He said, I really, that was my first time. He said, Coco, he said, believe it or not, that was my first time ever did did the tombstone on somebody. I said, oh, my God. I said, no wonder. I said, no Man. wonder you, you know, uh, you, you, uh, you was excited. So the, I so thought the, maybe they. Sorry, so the jumping, by jumping up, <clears throat> is what it basically moves your neck down and it caused your, your head to, to hit the mat. And, and yes. Yeah. Drove. Yeah. Drove right into that mat, and man, and, and I just saw stars there for a minute. And golly, you know, Dustin, Dustin Rose, and he was like, "You all right, Coach?" I said, "Yeah." I said, man, I, I see stars, man. I, my 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 head is kind of popping, right? You know. He said, "Oh, golly, you know, I said, you you gonna be okay?" D Dusty was right there with me. He said, "You gonna be all right, Coach?" Said, "I know he didn't mean to do that. Whatever, he, he, you know." I said. And then I, I finally, Mark came over. He said, "Man, that was my first time doing it. That's what they wanted me to do." And and uh, so, and then after that, you know what? He got he got really professional with it. You know where he wouldn't hurt it didn't hurt nobody. I can't you know? I, I I can't recall if it was you know how long after that, but if you go back and watch some of the later Undertaker matches, I can attest he did not jump when he did that tombstone. He no longer jumped with it. Right, or you know, like I said, maybe for some reason he was just—I mean, he just did something, just wanted, wanted, wanted to look really impressive. It did. It looked really impressive because when my head slipped out, I said, "I knew." I said, "Oh my God!" When I hit that, when I hit the mat, it just. Thank God that it wasn't a, 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 a concrete floor. He was probably nervous, too, because that was his first ever shot at the big leagues, and they threw him right in there with this character they they come up with in Gimmick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Me and him talked about it and stuff like that. He was nervous. He was nervous, too. Uh, and uh, me and him talked about it. And you know what? Mark Mark and I, we, we got along great and stuff like that. And, man, I still love him, man. You know, every time I – He's around signing autographs and stuff like that. You know, uh, we we traveled overseas together and all that stuff. So, so we had a we had a great re relationship after all of that, man. It, it, I mean, you know, and that it was good. and that speaks volumes of what Vince and the WWF at the time thought about the Birdman Coco Beware that you would be chosen as the first one to you know to take a tombstone and be pinned by the Undertaker. In my eyes, that's like you almost. You know, giving validity and you know, and and setting the big guy up for success on his debut. Well, see, like I said, let's let's go back what I said earlier. You know, hey, I didn't want to beat, I didn't want to beat Undertaker, not big as he was, tall as he was. I didn't want to beat him. You wanted you to know? help sell that, that sell the persona of the Undertaker. Yes. Yeah. You know, so so I was I wanted to push him more than anything to get him over so if we could get him over this this is what this is another way i was looking at it if all the guys that 
put Mark over. Well, I'm going to tell you, you made money when he was on the card. That's right. Well, believe it or not, well, you just, made money. Just like money. in the 80s, it's, you know, yeah, Hogan beat everybody, but that's okay because Hogan put asses in the seat. So when you went town to town and Hogan was the main event, you guys probably got paid. I mean, I got paid. I mean, that's the thing. Instead of making $400, $400 I probably made $600. For, I probably made $1,000. You know, for the fans that didn't know, we'd already seen The Undertaker. In Memphis, he was the master of pain. And WCW, he had tagged with uh, Dangerous Dan Spivey. They were known as uh, the Skyscrapers. But that was just that happened to be his his big late uh, big league debut. Another Coco, another first you had had too. The very, let the fans know this: the very first ever edition of uh, Monday Night Raw. I think at that time it would even call Monday Night Raw, just call Raw. January eleventh, nineteen ninety three. You were in the first match ever on Raw against Yokozuna. How? Tell, tell us how that came about. How were you chosen as to be the first ever, you know, match for this new syndicated, you know, television program that was, you know, designed to take over the world? You know what? I don't know how that happened. They, they just said, Coco, you're going to be on the first Monday Night Raw. You're Yokozuna. And I said, great. And I, and I talked to Yoke. I said, Yoke, I said, man, we're going to be uh, me and you tonight, brother. He said, Really? I said, yeah, yeah, man. He said, we 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 on the first we on the first uh, Monday Night Raw. Wow. He said, oh. He said, man, we're gonna have fun tonight. Oh, don't you worry about nothing. I said, I said, I know it. I said, and uh, so we went out there and we had a hell of a match and stuff like that. And uh, there's again. You know what? I didn't want to beat Yoke. I, I didn't want to beat him. And and my thing, I had the attitude, hey. Uh, not to beat him, and I, I had the attitude to, to put him over strong. So they said, "Well, Coco, he he gonna uh, sit out on you, to, do the stink face or something, and, and then bonsai sit out." And and, uh, and I said, "Okay." Well, see, he he took care of me when he do when he give you the stink bomb of stink face, or whatever. Some guys, if he didn't like. I'm telling you, he go in the he go in the bathroom. Oh. And he want to he want he want he want to take a crap. He want to take a crap, but he'll half wipe his butt. So it truly was a stink face. Yes, if he <laughs> did, if he did, if he didn't like you, he gonna tell you. He gonna tell all the guys that y'all watch this, watch this, because he just got out come out of the bathroom. He said. I don't have wipe. I still got shit in my crack of my ass. Ooh. And then when he pulled his pants down, and he he go right to the guy's face, and and, and I'm telling you, this guy's face is brown. Not not naturally. No. <laughs> I'm talking about no. His, the guy's face is, is brown, and he's smelling this down. This guy's going. He's really putting it over, uh, and, and he's he's throwing up and all this stuff. And and and, and, uh, and he sit there and and pin one two three. But the guy, he's he's still he he going back to he come back to the dressing room. He's a golly, this guy really shitted. <laughs> he really shitted in my face. Oh my god. I hate to cuss like that on on the on the, on the two, but uh, uh, but that's 
that's how that's how uh, Yoke. If he didn't like you, he he would give you the real McCoy. Let's uh let's let's end it on this note. I mean, you you uh, a wrestling legend known all over the world. You done you did everything in the you know the territories. Um, you know, 2009. How did it make you feel becoming a WWE Hall of Famer? Well. They, it was 20 years later, but, you know, hey, but I said, hey, that's okay. You know, uh, I, I really accept it. Uh, uh, I believe uh, one of the guys called me uh, and told me, hey, don't, Coco, we're going to put you in the Hall of Fame this year and all that stuff. Don't tell nobody. You know, keep it closed and all that stuff. Uh, you know, I went to Houston and took my whole family to Houston, Texas, and all that stuff. Took we had Houston. We had my whole family, Frankie and all. Ah, Frankie. Uh, so how long? How long did yeah. Frankie live? Or is he still around? Frankie's still around. Oh wow! You know, he, yeah, he's still around. They, those birds live to be a hundred. He's about he's about forty some years old now. You still have Frankie? I still have him. Man, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, we went to Houston and all that stuff, and uh, Frankie stole the show. As usual, because he he won't let me get a word in, and he, you know, he took the show over and all that stuff. That's so cool. Man. Frankie's just as over as anybody in the wrestling business. I tell you what, folks. Oh yeah, that's yeah. So cool, though, man. But man, I, I really appreciate the uh, the interview and all that stuff, man. Uh, I'm gonna have to jump off of here, guys. Absolutely, we we appreciate your time. It's been an, an absolute privilege to, to talk to you and get to know you and hear from you, hear, hear from you and have you share share your stories with us, man. It means it means a lot. And I know I know the fans are going to absolutely love the show. God bless you, yeah. Coco. Once again, thank you for allowing us to hook up and thank you for doing this show, man. What an absolute honor and pleasure. Well, thank you guys for having me. Hey, you got to you got to say you guys are the number one podcast out there, man. Y'all y'all the only one out there is doing a great job. Thank you you. got to tell yourself that so you can be great. Hey, we uh, coming hey. from you that's high praise, my friend. That's hey, I'm going I'm I'm to sleep well tonight. Thank, high praise coming from the bird, man. Thank you, Coco. All right, brother. God bless you all. God Appreciate bless you. you. Thank you, Coco. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.